when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello, it's Thursday, and it's time to welcome you to Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's been inspiring and provoking us lately. Gathered around the table this Thursday, we've got Patrick Klopik. Hello. Danielle Riandeau. Hi. Austin Walker. Hello. Natalie Watson. Hey. <laughs> He did it. Wait, I didn't and, even catch uh, it. I didn't even notice that he so, did it. It was unnaturally. We're we're going to be uh, talking about uh, a couple horror themed. Where you know it's 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 the holiday season. <laughs> it's uh, people are going to be spending people are spending weeks uh, at their at their childhood homes. Uh, and for some of us, this is a magical time. For some of us, maybe less magical. And it's a time to consider uh, various forms of horror and creepy stories and uh, the demons that, that haunt us all. Uh, don't go we... in the basement, no matter what. Don't go in the basement. When you go, home, go in the house. Basements. Do it. I wish I Unless had it's been renovated re- in yeah, the last... Cozy? 20 years. Carpets? I never had that, but I went to some friends' houses that had really cool renovated basements, and I always wish mine looked like that. Did Ooh. they, though, or were they just all, like, fucking, like, middle-aged man cave type things? That's all, like, if my friends had, like, nicely finished basements, almost certainly it was, like, I got a wet bar back here. And I was like, I don't know if that's cool. One of my friends had a bowling alley in her basement. What? Wow. Wait, you know, what? sometimes I forget that our upbringings were very different. <laughs> but then, like, you just say something, and like a lot of it wasn't me. I just had place. access. I got insider access. It wasn't me though. Mm-hmm. Did you have a pool? No. Okay. My parents were very afraid of uh, me and my brother uh, falling in the pool. That's smart. And wise. something happening to us, so yeah, we never very got wise. a pool. I'm also a all of us are terrible swimmers, my entire oh, yeah. family. <laughs> so we weren't, we weren't pool people. I just didn't know people in LA have pools. Oh, like, like everyone a has that a pool. True. Okay. But I didn't. I was right. like one of the only ones. Well, that's okay then. Just go to your friend's pool. Yeah. Right? I didn't cool. have to worry about the upkeep. Yeah. 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 True. You know? Fair. Yeah, that's true. Like everyone had a pool like half the year. It was like, oh, you can't swim in the pool. Like, sorry, I fucked up. And there's sorry, there's right yeah. <laughs> sorry, there's, your skin will be bleached off your bones. There's a biome in there. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, to, to start us out here, uh, Danielle, let's let's dig into your waypoint. You've been excited about this one for a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, this is a show you referred to a few times, but I gather that the show's gone from 
a few good seasons to like a truly great one uh, here in its fourth. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Channel Zero, The Dream Door. Uh, yes. Why don't you set the stage for us a little bit there? Okay. Um, and well, first of all, I, I will say it's between two and four for me as the greatest season of this series. It's an anthology series on sci-fi. So every season is its own sort of contained story. And interestingly, they all have different numbers of episodes, I think. I, I think some of them have six, some of them have five, some of them have like eight or nine episodes, uh, which I think is cool because it's like, oh, yeah, the season's length actually sort of fits the story in a good way. Uh, so the first season, just briefly I'll set up, the first season was uh, Candle Cove, and it was about a sort of evil pirate TV show that only a bunch of kids who grew up in a certain area remembered. And none of their parents had ever seen it. And it it, it went off the rails. I think it was probably the least successful. What if Shazam killed people? I yeah. mean, it's actually a little stupider than that. Like, what actually ends up happening is, uh, okay, you know. But there was a lot there. The second season, which, again, between two and four, I think are the absolute greatest, amazing distillations of uh, not only, like, a really great horror series, but horror uh, specifically uh, sort of targeted towards a female protagonist. Uh, Really, really awesome. That was called No End House, and it was premised on uh, both grief and trauma sort of as a subtext, but it was premised on an extreme haunted house that actually was a portal to another dimension. And there was a whole bunch of shit going on there and it was incredible uh, and it had a lot to say about sort of family and trauma and dealing with trauma, processing trauma. The third season, Butcher's Block, uh, actually had Rutger Hauer as a weird uh, demon man who eats people, which was awesome and great. Uh, Good, but maybe a little more uneven than this season, uh, which is about a woman whose name is Jill, who is a landscape architect. Uh, and importantly, she's a woman of color. Uh, this is one of the things that we will talk about, I think, probably quite a bit. Horror has a real problem with this. Uh, not a ton of protagonists of color, which is shitty and an issue. Although I know today we're talking about two different yeah. horror pieces that have protagonists of color, which is pretty cool. Um, she's a woman of color. She and her husband have moved into a new house. And there's a door. Uh, <laughs> there's a secret door in the basement. There's also a... Uh, I guess it starts out being the villain. There is a contortionist mime whose face is sort of half-melted. His name is Pretzel Jack, and he kills people. Uh, So this season is very, very, very much about uh, also processing trauma. It's also about fear, and it has a lot of interesting subtext about, uh, without kind of... I don't know how much we want to go into spoiler territory uh, too much, but I can be kind of vague in the way that it is very much about sort of the things that we create to protect ourselves. It's very much about having very specific fears about family and sort of family trauma and losing a parent or a parent leaving you at a very young age and the kinds of things that we make up to make ourselves feel better. It also has a lot of subtext about sort of reproduction and making things and sort of um, how we make things. Do we make them well? Do we make them with love? Do we kind of fuck up and create sort of half-formed beings and creatures and other sort of ways to deal with things that has a lot of subtext about sort of mental health and mental illness, which I think was very interesting. Uh, but yeah, I know uh, several folks kind of looked at this, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, one of the highlights, I have to say, is probably Pretzel Jack, who was played by an actual real-life contortionist. There was no CG I mean, I'm sure there was some CG at some point uh, in the making of the show or maybe in post-processing or something, but uh, it's like an actual real-life contortionist. His name is Trey jo- James, rather, and he was actually in the third season as well as sort of a physical embodiment of schizophrenia, 
which is also interesting and pretty cool. But here he is playing this like really terrifying creation uh, called Pretzel Jack, who is something of a protector figure for Jill, but also uh, a maniacal killer, uh, which is pretty cool and pretty interesting. Interesting so, yes. side note, he is a uh, black contortionist playing a, w- a creepy white clown. Yes. That's Super important. Very true. Yes. Yeah. Especially given... So, the lead character is is in fact uh, biracial, um, okay. and and it's I, I think without getting into specific spoilers about stuff, her father is white, and yes. so for me the fact that Pretzel Jack it looks a little like him. Oh, absolutely, Pretzel Jack is is absolutely designed to look like a thinner version of the man who plays her father yeah. with this kind of like splotch of blonde hair, like very like um, thin uh, uh, hair. I'm not thinning, but like, like, there's a wispy. word I'm looking for. Wispy and wispy, yeah, 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 yeah totally. Um, so yeah, I think that's super important here too. Um, I had such mixed feelings about this actually. Okay. I I think overall I ended up liking it. I think one thing I'll say is like, it is not. I expected the show to continue to be like the first two episodes, and instead it ends up going in this much more campy direction mm-hmm. um, that it did not set me up for uh, particularly well because I think like, the first episode is genuinely creepy. Um, and I think even the second episode is pretty creepy. Uh, and and in general, so this whole series, I'm, I'm from what I've read, is is uh, converts creepy pasta into yes. kind of uh, yeah. So short I, run. It'd be series, worth kind right? of setting that up for people a little bit. So like I was, uh, so yeah, creepy pasta is basically just internet short horror stories. Uh, it comes like a thousand from, words, five hundred words, short. Yeah, little... yeah, th- something you can read in, in you know while you're sipping you know half a cup of coffee um it, it comes from uh a, the term copy pasta uh, which is like the notion of human spam which is basically like copying and pasting like blocks of text on forums um it's it like many things on the internet which is like not something we have to necessarily consider within this but is like a, a broader consideration is that uh creepypastas originate from 4chan like we talk about 4chan and, and rightly so as like a reviled awful place on the internet where all sorts of terrible things happen but like a lot of the internet culture that we like is just sanitized versions of things that come from 4chan like 4chan has defined and created all sorts of like predominant internet culture including the original idea of the creepypasta it's not like 100% sure where it comes from there's like a time piece that like roughly has some evidence that it comes from 2006 and like the idea like the terminology of creepypasta like short short form horror Fiction is not new, but the idea of, like, actually calling it creepypasta seems to be roughly 2006. Like, Slenderman is creepypasta, like, and that's, like, a more, like, broader, like, pop culture instance of creepypasta, like, both making it its way into, like, small form adaptation. There's Marble Hornets, which is uh, this long form, uh, long form in that there's dozens and dozens of episodes, um, short form in that the episodes are, like, a couple of minutes long, but they're, mm. like, it's found footage, uh this sort of slender man story that exists on YouTube in like 480p because it, it's from years and years and years ago. And then there was also like a really bad slender man movie. And then also slender man influence made its way full circle into real life. It was the subject of a recent HBO documentary because two 12 year old girls uh, killed one of their friends um, right. over a belief that they were appeasing slender man. So like, interesting, like in, in this movie, this one is based on a short story called, or I don't, I take issue. 
this the show calls it based on a short story. It is based on a creepy pasta. Like though, like it is kind of weird in the opening credits. Like based on a short story called blah blah blah. When it's really, it's based on a creepy pasta called "I Found a Hidden Door in My Cellar and I Think I've Made a Big Mistake." And it comes from Great a Reddit name. post. Very good by someone named Voids with the zero instead of an O. Their name is Charlotte. You know, by water. Like you know, they, there is a person behind that. But like, I. I do wish the show like embrace like it. Is, this show is internet culture, but like doesn't want to pretend it is because it's probably that would seem like embarrassing to some degree, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so, anyway, I just wanted to set up a little bit of like the, the history of creepy pasta there because it it informs a lot of uh, the show from from front to back. I've always felt about creepy pasta that it is like a contemporary campfire story. Yep. That creepy pasta are often like. So there I was, like it was a dark and rainy night, except that you're on the internet. And so you say like, well, I just got home from the gym uh, and, you know, uh, you know, the, the Monday Night Football was on TV uh, and I went into the kitchen um, to, to get a beer. Um, and I noticed my basement door was open and da 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 da. And it's like that sort of style. And very I think casual style. Very casual. And then something unknowably terrible happens. And often it's the case, and this is not the case with the show, but in Creepypasta, the, the scary thing happens and then it's inexplicable or it's tied in like the SCP stuff to some larger meta context. Yeah. But often it's very unsatisfying in the in the lore sense and it and that's okay because that's not what it's meant to be it's just supposed to be like the actual story that or the, the original creepypasta here is like it ends with like and there are ancient runes drawn in this secret mm-hmm. basement and who knows what we let out in the evil that or out out into the world that night what pandora's box we opened um and like yeah okay i've heard this sort of story before <laughs> whereas here there is a very specific um, uh, mythology of types of creatures that come from a certain specific place, uh, from a certain specific sort of trauma and specific sorts of, of interaction, and and deeper than that, like very specific. Oh, here is how this works. Here is who can do this. Um, and I don't. I, I still don't know how that sits with me specifically. So this show, I will say, uh, I, I'm like a super fan of this show. I will absolutely cop to that. And I will say, there is an unevenness inherent sort of to the show even i think in its absolute best moments there is a campiness to it there is a sort of visual language component to it uh that is very 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 heightened especially by very very oh my god especially by (laughs) the end very 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 like i think what this is evoking especially by the end through like weird framing there's a lot of shots that are like way pulled out, very, very uncomfortable. Even though this is happening, most of what's happening here are in interiors, they're in houses, mm-hmm. or they're in sort of a very suburban sort of atmosphere, or houses by the, the very, very end, thing. exactly, houses are yeah. the most important thing, doors are an important motif yeah, yeah, yeah. here. But by the very, very end, it is happening in sort of a half-finished plot of land mm-hmm. that is like being developed as a new neighborhood. So it is using incredibly obvious, kind of hit you over the face visual metaphors. Things like girders and things that are half-built uh, are kind of, you know, in every other shot, I think, by the very end. Uh, it's using hundreds of doors, whereas you see like single doors, you know, kind mm-hmm. of at the beginning of the series. Uh, this is not a subtle show. Like, I don't think there's any subtlety in this show Ever. Uh, and it sometimes goes way over the top. I think the third season probably went the furthest over the top out of anything. Uh, again, we have Rucker Hauer playing a weird farmer who eats people, and it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> he was great in it, of course. Uh, but there is a sort of... I, I think like the show has been building towards certain things. 
uh, sort of even though they Across are self-contained seasons. stories. Okay. Yeah, I think it's been building its visual language and building its visual language. Season two had a lot of very stylized cinematography and extremely like processed shots, like post-processed. Mm. Like there's filters on everything. There's sort of a, an entire suburban world in that second season where everything has like a blue filter over it, right? There's a lot of filters and stuff going on here as well. There is a lot of like avant-garde light, I would call it, kind mm-hmm. of cinematography and sound design. And by the way, the uh, the sound designer and the composer for this season was actually the same person who did the soundtrack for Edith Finch. Oh, I actually I have huh. that, and I will I will put it in the show notes who that person is. Um, but it really. A little out there, and everything they're doing is a little out there, and I and I actually really love that. I kind of love that they have divorced almost entirely from really sort of traditional horror cinematography. A lot of horror cinematography focuses a lot on close-up shots to sort of create tension. Like, you know in the haunted house when it's super close-up on, on the person walking around, you know something horrible is going to happen to them. In this show, you're in a you're pulled out so far. You're you're looking basically at, at like a super super wide shot where Pretzel Jack is running around. You can kind of see him running around the bush, and the the person he's going to attack is just sort of standing there, you know, for a few seconds. Like it is so completely out of line with what you usually see in terms of framing and editing in these kinds of stories. And I really like that. I do think it's effective here, even though it does have a very sort of specific and weird vibe at times. And there are times where I do think it's a little bit dissonant. Like this is a show very much about personal relationships, personal trauma, and sort of fear in relationships. So Jill is really, really afraid that her husband is cheating on her Mm -hmm. or has cheated on her. That is like a central theme uh, that kind of goes through this entire show. And you do learn that Pretzel Jack has a special connection with her. Again, I'm going to keep things fairly vague and just kind of talk about the themes here. But you do learn that he is something of a protector figure uh, for her. And that puts the husband in danger. And it is such a good metaphor for like, yeah, in relationships, you carry your fucking trauma with you and you're going to push people away and you're going to do all of these kinds of things. And it's going to feel this tense and it's going to feel this dangerous. But of course, because it's horror, it's actually making that metaphor real. And it's doing that with this like really weird visual language that I think is like effectively off-putting in a lot of ways. I mean, like, I think part of what you're getting at, Austin, is like, okay. Yeah. I like Channel Zero. I like this. I've, I haven't watched the other seasons of, of Channel Zero. I've watched the first, there's six episodes. I've watched five of, of this season. And I like it a lot. There is horror for horror fans. And then there is horror that is meant for a broader audience. Like, And Channel Zero is horror for horror fans. In which yeah. Oh, yeah. it is playing with themes. And there are characters. And there are metaphors. Do those exist because it has something really deep to say? I don't think so. Do they exist because, like, it gives some depth and, like, allows it to go over the course of, like, six episodes? I think so. Like, it's more like that stuff is pro- is used as uh, architecture to prop up the things that it's most effective and good at. Which is, like, it is – like, Pretzel Jack is is one of the more effective villains I have seen in a piece of horror in, in ten years. Like, I'm – here for that. The other stuff is fine. It's there. It's 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 deeper than like your average horror film. But I, you know, like it's I was I, yeah, I felt it I felt so by the end of it I I think I understand what it was like going for. I, I want to be clear. I didn't dislike watching this. I watched all six episodes, right? I didn't bail. I didn't say oh, I watched half of it and that's enough. Right. Partially because it changed a number of times 
in terms of what it was doing. Again, the first two episodes just feel like horror to me, and then it gets increasingly campy and goofy until some final confrontations that are like, they're not straight out of a video game, but there is gaming happening in one of those sequences, <laughs> right? There is definitely an esports scene at the end of this movie or the end of this series, in a sense. There is like, there's an FGC showdown <laughs> between people playing playing something against each other, in a sense. Um, but the the thing that the thing that I actually kept me most interested and kept me most the thing that I was actually so unsure about what were the things that you're talking about, both Danielle and Patrick, in terms of what is it saying about relationships and about trauma and about violence against women and about the and about emotion. Um, there are moments in this where I, I I could tell was trying to say something about gaslighting, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are lots of men who do not believe Jillian about Pretzel Jack in the very beginning of that in the beginning of the show. But there are also moments when she is jumping to conclusions about people in her life, and the result of that is that she gets emotional, and the result of that is that people get hurt, and innocent people get hurt and die, and some of the framing on that stuff felt very conservative to me. And there was a reading, there's a way in which I can imagine someone watching this and be like, yeah, women need to control their emotions. And that read is in this story. And the conclusion of it, without talking about specifics, ends up feeling to me like a sort of um, a reestablishment of the status quo of like, here is what, this is what a healthy family looks like. Certainly unhealthy family is here. And I'm in agreement with the show yeah. about what unhealthy family looks like. Unhealthy, like it's, their depiction of an unhealthy family is 100% true. But there is something about it that's like the reestablishment of the norm as good. That is not, I'm not saying this is, this is true for most things in, in fiction, that you reestablish what the status quo is as being a good thing. But I'm, it's hard for me to square that with, the, with my real understanding that the status quo in real life does produce trauma, often against women. And it's hard to talk about this stuff without talking about spoilers. Right. It really is hard, and I don't, <laughs> but I don't want to get into it. But what I will say is that insofar as Pretzel Jack is the, is the result of trauma... And the and the result of of Jillian working through trauma, which is is a thing that's brought up very early on. I don't feel too bad talking about that. The resolution around it just didn't satisfy me that much because it reestablishes a norm that, in real life, still leads to that trauma. Um, and the, the, it ends with an open door, obviously, who not literally an open door. Well, but, well, kind of. Kind of, but kind not of. literally, you know, like, you know what yeah, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it, it ends with, with that. and again, I had a good time with it, but I, I felt like some of the stuff that I'd hoped would be clearer because of, especially because these are black characters and especially because I think black masculinity and black femininity are often tools wielded by white creative teams in ways to create things like horror and and uh, uh, pettiness and, and pity uh, in ways that are very charged. Um, and, and likewise with the contortionist, with, with Pretzel Jack, the bodies that don't act normally is a very charged thing. So I wanted a little more clarity on here. Um, but I still think it was like a fairly entertaining show, right? I, again, I would have objected if, if I thought otherwise. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly can't argue uh, with any of the reading, especially on people of color. But I, I did read it so much more as this is <laughs> – this is how violent it is to have emotions and to be a human that has creative power, yeah. right? That, that's how I read it personally. And so it did work for me. Jill did 
read for me as a character, as a woman, a woman of color who the cops don't fucking believe her because, of course, sure. they don't. There's a couple of detectives who kind of come in and, and they're around for, for a lot of this, they right? Sure like, are. yeah, they, they, and they sure have a scene uh-huh. that is interesting um, <laughs> and also framed amazingly. Like, one day I would love to have like a, a 10 minute, like, here's how this is so effective. This shot is amazing. But anyway, uh, absent that and, and speaking in generalities, I really did find it effective uh, as, a, as a sort of treatment of it is fraught. It is always fraught when you're talking about women and their emotions and especially within like a heterosexual context, yeah. right? I feel like, okay, if she were a lesbian and she was with another woman or something, that that would be absent in this, right? Mm. It would be a little more like, oh, okay, instead of just she's the woman and therefore her emotions are an issue, this is like yeah. a hetero fucking thing. So that's how it looks. But uh, I, I did take that from it of, of being like, okay, this is, your, your emotions are fucking violent. Your trauma is fucking violent. You will hurt another person. Yeah. There's no way around that. You're a human being. Being in a relationship, being close to someone is violent in some ways. It is a violation of all these things that you have kind of inside you. And they're going to come out in some way. And again, it's horror. So the metaphors become real. They become very real. They become blood splattered and they become exploitative and so on yeah. and so forth. Uh, but yeah, it is very... It's very hard to read this without reading extra into, obviously, the racial component. And, like, that sucks because that is a that is part of, like, the genre sucking at having a lot of diverse yeah. characters. I mean, I'm happy to have that stuff in there. Like, I, right. I think given that she's a biracial character and given Pretzel Jack as this, like, pasty white clown figure with this, you know. This with fucked his, up version of her dad kind 100%, of thing. Yeah. Like, there is, I'm happy for people to be working in that space. I just don't always, it doesn't always stick the landing for me. Natalie and Rob both have been sitting on something <laughs> for a long time. I'm sorry. No, Natalie, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm just curious to, like, is this is this show, like, contending or being, like, careful with, with sort of, like, tropes of, like, crime of passion um, is, like, something that I was thinking about. Like, are, are we, you know, like, playing into like this perception of of women of color um like acting acting violently on emotions like in a very literal sense um uh which was like kind of a concern with mine and and I wasn't sure that I think the proxy of having like a third party like having pretzel jack there kind of like as this as this other by which it is acted kind of mitigates that um so i i like i'm working through it in my head right now but i i do feel like there is so like i mean for me like a note i i made here was um watching the first episode i was like this is like if poltergeist was good uh, <laughs> yeah! but yeah uh, uh-huh patrick how's it going sorry let me just mute patrick real quick um <laughs> okay <God>. so <laughs> I think one of the things the show uh, deploys pretty powerfully is that, like, we have, there's a tendency to people, for people to love the idea of new beginnings, new phases of your life uh, starting. Uh, And I think one of the things the show does really well is, uh, first of all, like, (laughs) the the couple is given a home, uh, which immediately, like, man, I would... yeah, I don't care if a creepy door shows up in my basement. I'll stay. Like, you, you give me a free house, I'm there. But but also there's this this element of... Um, so 
if you look at the horror in Poltergeist, it's it's a new subdivision. It's a new thing that's planted in the middle of nowhere. It's these like these these sins of the country, the land, the society that are being visited on the family that is fundamentally blameless. Their their mistake is buying the wrong house. Here is this idea of we're newlyweds, we've been gifted a home, um, and this is a chance to start fresh. And these are characters that are both deeply in denial about how much they are carrying with them into this relationship and carrying with them into this new stage of their lives. And I, I, I think one of the things I found really powerful here was that... Sorry, did I lose somebody? Something just changed. I heard the tone, but... Sorry, I my computer died. Oh, okay. And now I'm offline and I can't control the brightness on my screen anymore. Okay. So I can't hear. I haven't been able to hear anything in like three minutes. Oh, I was wondering why you're looking around. Okay. I can't hear anything now, for instance. Okay. Uh, Sorry. Is that key? We'll, we'll hold for a second. Yeah, I am. Uh, my computer died? Oh. I gotcha. That'll work. I've not been this whole time. It's this one, right, okay. that you can use? Um, is it this one? No, it's no, different. No. It's, yeah, yeah. Er, oh, there's just a uh, blank one. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Uh, can you say something? Something. Is the there static we go. still there, Kato? Huh? Is the static still there? Yeah, this Yeah, I, I definitely hear like a mild. Mm. Is it just loose? Is like the power cord loose, or is? Uh, it might be the voltage here. Can you take off your headphones? Yeah. Yep. Oh, it went away. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I heard oh, like awesome. a burp, and then it went away. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. So something I did find powerful here is this idea that the horror that is being unleashed is because people are not honest with themselves about mm -hmm. the impossibility of there ever being a clean start. That you know, from yeah. the start that you know, Tom is telling Jill, you know, I'm not your father, and which, by the way, is like a thermonuclear thing to roll out and deploy mm -hmm. uh, in 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 a couple spat, especially when you are definitely keeping a secret, Tom. Like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But the the way that they both have made this really false deal that uh, we are kind of this. Um, we have this new unit, this new familial unit, unencumbered by the past, and the patterns of the past are not going to recur. And that is kind of, at least in the early episodes, the original sin that sets a lot of things in motion, right? That it's it's as they begin to deny that there's all these things sort of haunting the relationship, that they begin escalating the horrors that they're about to unleash. Um, and that that did work for me. Now, I didn't... I didn't get to the end of the series. I did. I missed the camp turn. So what I saw was a very like. What, Did you watch the first three episodes? I uh, watched the first two. Okay. Yeah. Basically, like, yeah. There's like a good arc, and then it should have stopped, and then there's just more episodes. <laughs> I like would like a I would like with the a shittier with like a, with like a shittier villain, and then a shitty new side, a shitty new main character, and uh, yeah, I think, I, I think it's working a on mess. a lot of levels. But go ahead, Rob. Yeah. 
so yeah, for me, when the series in the in the opening episode of the series, I I see a very good, um, again the literalization of the horror of things we carry with us into relationships, breakdowns in communication, the way survival and coping strategies become uh, almost offensive weapons in other contexts. Um, so I I liked all of that. Um, I'm a little disappointed to hear that it sort of maybe leaves that behind uh, a little bit. I think it still works with those concepts 100%, but it isn't, like, the first two episodes have a lot of creeping horror, right? They have a lot of, there's an unopened door in a basement. There's a locked door in a basement is such a strong premise um, because who knows what's in there, right? It's like, it's, it's like, y'all are all bigger horror fans than me. You don't need me to talk about the fear of the unknown, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, even just on a pure, like, living my own fucking life level, I don't want there to be a door in my house that I don't know what's behind it. I don't. I, should, I don't I've want I've shot it. it with a gun and it won't open. And it won't open. That's <laughs> scary to me. The things of that nature. Also, why Doors that no don't one, open. No one talks in this show about the handprint that's on the door. Everyone just yeah. pretends that's not a weird thing. Like no one at any point comments about the hand on the door. It's great. That stuff I love. I love, love, love. And I think is, that, is it visible to everybody? That's the thing that I started I, to wonder. Does everyone knows? see I guess the handprint? It's, yeah, I guess it's possibly only visible to Jillian. To that Jillian, is, yeah. That is because we get possible. that we get that interstitial shot that's from her. It's not it's not her image of the door. It's from her memories of something. Right, right, and right. And so, like, we see the handprint on the door, and then a child's like painted wall uh, next to it. So I'm I'm kind of wondering like. Is this one of the other reasons this is so unsettling for her? It's like she recognizes that fucking door. To everyone else, it's a blue door. And she sees a handprint. Right. Yeah. It's a nice... Uh, sorry, you are going to no. say something. I was going to say, it's actually a really nice counterpoint to the red door in The Haunting of Hill House, which, again, I won't spoil, but what goes on behind that door, and when you find out kind of what goes on behind that door, there's a lot of sort of thematic resonance that kind of uh, sticks with you in that in that case. That's another door you can't open, no matter what you do, no matter how many things you do to that door. It's not going to open mm-hmm. of its of your volition. It only opens of its own volition, whether you made it, whether you created it or not. Right, and then there's yeah, yeah, yeah. and so that stuff was so strong. And I think the the point I was trying to get to before was I still think the stuff that you're interested in, Rob, around the ways in which we wish we could start from a clean slate and the ways in which we're always already complicated and all relationships are built on a navigation of that complication. I think Danielle's right in that that stuff continues to be prevalent in the back half. I personally am also on Patrick's side that I wish that this was a three-hour show or like a two-hour show or movie. Or um, or, or it decide, I, I just think with the turn it takes in the second half is is more interested in world-building of this, oh, yeah. of what they've set up, what happens, what then in exploring like the most fundamentally interesting, so interesting story at, at the at the core of this is like this relationship and the manifestation of secrets. That's right? also oh, I just so, wish that I personally would have gone into the back half with like a couple of beers and while playing a video game if I had been prepped for that and would have probably enjoyed it as really good like campy like fun horror that like it moves more in the slasher direction in some ways. Then with the worst with? slasher villain, ah, like that other guy's tall, not as good. It's tall, tall, man, tall boy sucks. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I, I think it makes good down. on a lot of that stuff because of what it's doing with reproduction. There is a really creepy scene again. I can't. Oh, I can't spoil it. But we can have a ten-minute spoiler section. Like we're adults. No, I mean it's it's okay. I think 
uh, I, I might just be the the one who's you know the channel zero fan here and i'm okay with that i'm all right with that this is my bed no, I, 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 I made I, it no i mean i want to make it clear like the first couple <laughs> like that arc of the first three episodes like where they leave um that i was like this is it was it was it was beautiful i thought it was it was interesting like it's not high art but like it's it's an i really really like those first couple episodes i just i and you i would have left camp. it at the pool i would have left it at the pool okay. i think i would have oh left it yeah the pool. And I and I would have left it with the hospital scene. Like, okay. once you have that, like it leaves enough loose ends that are interesting. Like, I didn't need for the rest to be resolved. And like, what actually what happens here is you, um, you there's a it's one season, but there's a sequel. Like, in the, the first season. three episodes are the first movie. It's actually the first four because that pool scene is the end of episode four. I'm pretty sure because I watched one, two, three. I stopped, yeah. and then I watched four, five, six, like a, a night or two ago. Okay, yeah. well, where, wherever, wherever but, that but, ends, like the, yeah. the pools, the pool slash hospital scene, like where that ends up is like the first movie, and then it's like, what does every horror sequel do? Is like, well, shit, we got to explain what happened, right? And so <laughs> five and six are like, ah, here's the backstory, and it's like, mm, it's more complicated than you imagined. When really leaving leaving it open ended, leaving you to like wonder, leaving things complicated. I, I and again I haven't seen the last episode, but like episode five. Oh, you should watch the last episode. Yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to. We're gonna yeah. watch it tonight. But it just, it just it, it is the shitty sequel. It's you know. See, the, this is like a whole. There's stuff I think this. you will appreciate. There's yeah. stuff that I think Patrick will love in the final episode. Yeah. But well, this is like a hallmark of that entire. Like one of the things I have noticed with like uh, Reddit no sleep threads and shit is this. There's this tendency for like once a post gets traction, the creator to come back and be like, well, there's more. Yeah. And it's like, oh, By shit, like, okay, like, people are like, getting a lot of upvotes, like, okay, uh, so I need a story now. I had, like, I had a central image or conceit, now I need a narrative, I guess? Sure, I'll give that, like, keep those votes coming. And I think, like, maybe the series struggles against this a little bit, too, is, like, a lot of the source material that this is pulling from tends to exist as, like, unsettling premises, things to, like freak you out late at night when you're like just browsing the internet and you come across like creepy fake urban legend um and that's cool but that is hard to build a coherent narrative around and you're tackling a big challenge to uh make a season of television around that particularly when you're engaging all these all these themes i may have just been very uh very very sort of devoted to that core relationship and the places that that core relationship goes, especially by the end were, I suppose enough for me to really kind of stick with mm -hmm. it. Uh, and what it says about parenthood and family is there's a very, very, very difficult scene uh, to watch it is extremely <laughs> intense and it has to do with childbirth and it has to do with reproduction. It has to do with like your worst fears as a parent uh, and that kind of thing that I think, make good on a lot of the sort of thematic weight that they're throwing at it in that sort of second half. Um, tall boy does suck though. I'm not gonna, yeah. not I gonna just stand think, for I, tall I just, boy. I, I just think like the, I think you're <laughs> right, Daniel. I think that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> good. I think that relationship does go to some interesting places. The problem is just like the pri the, 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 the priority of like what's happening, like changes in, as it as, as it goes to the end game in terms of like what what the ser the show finds important and what it's prioritizing in terms of what it's what it wants like the screen time and 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 the story and it's like their relationship takes a back seat like to the other stuff that's going on like the world building becomes story A and then 
the, the, the relationship becomes story B or C. And it's like, so there so are standout scenes. That might be episode like, five. And, and that's five. It, there's a possibility that there's like kind of a weakness there, but I do think it so brings it back. It, it definitely, six is still definitely about their core relationship yeah. in, a, in a way. And again, like I, I don't, I'm not personally super satisfied with that, with that ending for reasons we, I don't want to get into because spoilers, but I will say the, for me, the thing that I did that in this conversation, I just hit on that makes the first half work better for me is that the kind of triangle of, of uh, Tom, uh, Jillian, and Pretzel Jack, with Pretzel Jack being the externalization of of uh, trauma, but also of fear and emotional like anger, um, works for me in a way because it makes the Jillian Tom relationship the kind of producer of Pretzel Jack, and then that gets mixed up with some other shit that is that is really complicated because it ends up being about heritage it ends up being about prior relationships um it ends up also then being about uh, you know this is what happens when you have characters of mixed race is that it ends up being about questions of parental lineage and questions of how that lineage was framed and and stuff like there's stuff I want to get into that I because I that I cannot get into and and specifically it introduces a secondary antagonist who is not Pretzel Jack who and unlike Pretzel Jack whose motivations I think are pretty clear from the fucking get go outside yeah. of some small elements that that are they're major elements that tie into all the shit I was just saying but like they're not um his like who he is as a person I think is like clear on the fucking screen out the gate for me uh, I was like oh this motherfucker here yep. uh, yeah I see this guy right here um <laughs> and. And by the time you get all that extra information, it ends up on just a craft level messing up that that very nice triangle uh, by turning it into like a, a, a how many, like a pentagon or like an <laughs> octagon of relationships. A pentagram, indeed. It's a it's a pentagram of relationships. <laughs> six six six. That's why click. Um, very witchy. Uh, but specifically, ends up going into some spaces around. It's not about whiteness and blackness, but it is absolutely about. There's another. Mm, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to let it go. People should go watch it. Um, I think it's very interesting. Who naturally was allowed to come to terms with trauma and experience, and who wasn't? I think there's something interesting in a positive sense happening. There, there's something sharp about the recognition of who gets to control power and who doesn't. But I also am frustrated by it because plenty of black women confront trauma and come out the other end having dealt with it and having been through their natural lives without any additional aid, having learned from trauma, having dealt with their emotions, and having been able to become, you know, grown, full, well-rounded adults. And it's frustrating to see a show in which in which the options that are on the table are the options that are on the table and the way that that stuff is framed. It's fine. It's not a... I'm not, like, mad at this show, um, but I... But it, it felt like it was playing with some big ideas, and then, and, it, and then it added more big ideas on top of it. And then it was both too long, and that six episodes is is too long for that core first little premise, but maybe not long enough to actually work out some of the more complicated stuff that ends up being about race and heritage and and trauma and the intermingling there therein. Um, that's what I will say. Yeah, I, I would also add, watch season two. Uh, if you found anything at all interesting about this season or this approach to an anthology series, season two, I'm very curious. Also, about it, for sure. I I also really 
thought it was great. So. Also, the music changes in this, and that's super yeah. interesting. We don't have the time to get into that also, but by the end of this, by the end of the series, it is doing like a full synthwave retro thing, yep. which I think leads into the feeling of it being campier than the opening stuff where it's just like not as all in on that stuff. Yeah. That's fair. Right. Uh, we will leave it there, and uh, we'll come back in a minute here with The Ballad of Black Tom. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, and we're back uh, with The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, uh, which was something that, Austin, you put in front of us when we were getting ready for our Lovecraft-focused uh, discussion show. And you said yeah. this was, because I think we, we put the question out, like, is there anything out there that, like, redeems this, right? Like, w- like is, that, is there anything there that, like, plays with this material in, uh, that can explain some of the love that people have for this this universe uh for for the for this genre uh and this was one you sort of suggested as being worth putting on our radar uh for that discussion and i like dumped a bunch of links on you unfortunately right before like the night or two before y'all recorded the lovecraft episode (laughs) so go read this novella (laughs) listen well okay so some things were smaller i did put like a couple of short short stories in front of you but then also i was like you had asked rob like oh is there anything that redeems it or that confronts the racist history of Lovecraft. Um, And the answer is like, yeah, there's probably a lot actually, right? Like this is an active field. Uh, Lovecraft studies is is a field with lots of people in it. And many of them are smart enough to contend with the, the, not just his racist past or his personal racism, but the way that racism runs through his work. Um, uh, Also, it was like 10 years ago or something when like the award that was given out that had his face was Mm -hmm. changed. Um, as a part as a result of like these conversations, and I'm, I'm like is because one of the uh, artists that that won that year, one of the writers that won that year, like made like a a really uh, this is the, yeah this was the deal World it. Fantasy Award. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and so a number of authors like lobbied against it and were like, "Yo, can you can you not actually uh, do this?" Um, when I was reading about it, like one of the first instincts was, "Well, just change it to like." Cthulhu or something like instead like make it about the world he represents and then it was from there it was like well oh mm, what's like Cthulhu a stand in for actually right yeah. right 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 right, um, right so I mean I'll, I'll set up the book very briefly um, it's written by Victor Laval who is a black writer who grew up in Queens um, I think that it is it is explicitly a retelling or a, a, a it's not just a retelling in the sense of same events happen it's a retelling in that it's an alternate version of uh, the horror at Red Hook, which is one of uh, Lovecraft's most outwardly racist works, um, in that it is all, it is filled from top to bottom with descriptions of New York and New Yorkers as squalid and diverse in the most insulting uh, tone. 
Um, he sees he sees the mixing of peoples, both in the in the uh, sexual sense, but but literally just in the the like the geographical sense as being a, a great sin and the road to to the worst sort of unimaginable foreign dark exotic hells. Uh, Lovecraft will spend in in the horror of Red Hook. You know, uh, he says things like. Uh, the poison cauldron where all the varied dregs of unwholesome ages mix their venom and perpetuate their obscene terrors. And what he means is like the blacks, Jews, Syrians, and Italians. Um, that's what the varied dregs of unwholesome ages means. Um, in another story, he says, he writes that New York uh, filled him, his, his, his kind of stand-in protagonist, with only a sense of horror and depression which threatened to master, paralyze, and annihilate him, and that the throngs of people that seethed, seethed through the flume-like streets were squat, swarthy strangers with hardened faces and narrow eyes, shrewd strangers without dreams and without kinship to the scenes about them, who could never meet uh, mean aught to a blue-eyed man of the old folk with the love of fair green lanes and white New England village steeples in his hearts. Um, Lovecraft fucking hates New York, and he hates... He hates everyone who is not like a wasp, basically. Uh, he is from, he loves New England. Uh, he loves the sort of, he loves England. He loves the old world. Um, and in in The Ballad of Black Tom, by shifting away from characters who see the world that way and instead see uh, a sort of pulse of life and connectivity and uh, the, the what, what Laval describes as the terrific buzzing of Harlem, um, he rewrites the story in a way that at once maintains the horror of Lovecraft, a horror that originates at things not like us, that originates at the unknown, but situates it in a specific historical pain and oppression. Um, I still think this is like, this is like, it's 150 pages. Um, there are still things here that make me go like, mm, okay. But I think that many of the, the ways in which the characters of the original story are recast in new in in new ways and then the addition of black tom himself um substantially shifts the story in in into something that maintains a lot of that horror but but doesn't assume make the same assumptions about why it's horrible does that make sense yes um i guess like for my big picture the thing that i there's a lot that's horrible about lovecraft's horror but the thing that the way i've always framed it or the way I've always spoken about one of the things that that Lovecraft finds horrible or finds scary is that Lovecraft writes in the modern era uh he writes in the early 20th century post enlightenment post industrialization um one as we talked about last week uh there he is one of these people who wishes for an older simpler time that never really existed but two one of the things that I think is is actually still good about cosmic horror one of the things that i think other people have drawn on and and done their own work with is it comes from a moment in time at which the sciences are discovering new things and we have a new belief in science and a new belief in capital r rationality and lovecraftian horror begins at what if science isn't enough to explain everything what if despite all of our, our greatest minds, geometry's just broken. What if, in fact, all of this is is incorrect? We um, understand so little that it yes, means absolutely nothing. that it means nothing. nothing. And that the world is, and as this book hits on again and again, indifferent to us. And the thing that makes Black Tom so effective for me is that it says, like, 
one, there are those of us who already live in a life that is indifferent to us. Two, many of us live in a life that is cruel and not indifferent, and we cannot even begin to imagine why indifference would be scary compared to cruelty, um, nor should we. Uh, and and the thing that I like about Black Tom, the, the Ballad of Black Tom as a book, is that it retains the the ways in which you can describe the otherworldly while, while situating it in the... Uh, a characterization about pain and like the reason that someone would go in that direction is about pain and about suffering and not just crazed otherness, you know? Yeah. I was, or, go ahead. Or like pursuit of knowledge. Right. Like I think yes. like when you were just talking about like some of the, the things that like the, the, the one, I don't know. I, I had such a hard time contending with Lovecraft when we did the, Waypoint Radio um, episode on him because um, f- for me um, it is there are there are times in which I like choose to not separate art from the artist like I to to all of my fucking Twitter mentions yeah I've read Death to the Artist like <laughs> I I know what the fuck that is That's like not what Bart meant either anyway. yeah and so it is also that, yeah they should reread that yeah. Um, <laughs> So or read it in the first place. Let's be fucking real yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. So f- for me, I think the one thing that like on further reflection and, and thinking about um, Lovecraftian horror and cosmic horror even more is um, something that, you know, I saw in Bloodborne and do see in in other people writing in the Lovecraftian horror scene is like this critique of that per- pursuit of knowledge and a critique of sort of in uh uh fuck what's the word um like institutional um uh the way that that institutions create or or delineate like accepted knowledge mm-hmm. um that that we like intelligence or a knowledge or a study that is like deemed worthy or deemed like deemed uh uh like higher like uh, i don't like know canonized in some way basically yeah yeah basically and how those pursuits how how the pursuit of knowledge is fundamentally like what i think about the knowledge that is like uncovered um, and that is like still misunderstood or still mm-hmm. c- could not be understood. Um, to me, it's like almost a question of like the ethics of that pursuit. Like to I think, begin with. yeah, I think like the best form of contending with this is like question, questioning those like, like ethical, um, like the, the absence of ethic ethics in that motivation. Sure. Um, knowledge for knowledge's sake, or yeah. whatever we're calling knowledge, even from the jump, right? So yeah, like exactly. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the one thing is, what are we calling knowledge? Like, yeah. what do we deem as accepted knowledge? What do like institutions deem accepted knowledge? And the second thing is, um, the latter. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, and I think this book ends up shifting on some of that stuff, right? So the the 
Horror at Red Hook has two characters from this in it already. It has the detective um, Malone, who is in Horror at Red Hook, this outwardly bigoted, racist, like virulent, constantly seeing the world, is terrified of the world around him. Um, and it has uh, Suidem, the the Dutch. Um, it's always the Dutch with, with Lovecraft. He does not like the Dutch either. Uh, uh kind of collector of oddities and paranormal uh why in, in in the original story this wild man right his hair is 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 overgrown and his fingernails are dirty and here he is this kind of suave like mover of of the the upper upper echelons of moneyed new york um and Malone, well, it, seems to keep, it's, it seems to kind of keep that subplot like a, yes. a nod to that subplot in i don't want to get into it but there's a nod to that exact like depiction of him in a subplot involving him and his family that totally i, I, didn't, I haven't read the original but that's in there then, but you saying that is like a very cute kind of way to head nod at the original a hundred percent well and so instead and and malone in this is this kind of passive bigot who absolutely judges the lesser peoples of new york but he's you know he's the guy from around the neighborhood he's ha- you know they all talk to him they all say hi to him there's uh, a li- there's a line where like uh, uh the author describes him as like someone that just like looks around and he's just disappointed about like where yeah. the world has gone which is like such a like he thinks very highly of himself that like I'm not the I'm not the racist like I'm right. not the shitty person like society's just it's just gone wrong right. man and and, uh, and, Su- <laughs> and Suidem is recast as this person who was just wildly devoted to the dark gods to someone who is my people have done so wrong by everyone here. What if we just started over? What if we just remade but, the but world? Me, but me, me, leading. But I'll be there. This yeah. deep greed of like, yeah. I can be the one who can get the most from yeah. the sleeping king. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what people, what the general takeaway was here as just like, this is a work of horror. This is a, a, a book of like attempting to do what Lovecraft does and what other cosmic horror writers do, but also attempting to be this very new black New York, like, Again, there's a there is a, a, almost a campfire story element of this of like ah yeah the Ballad of Black Tom you know about Black Tom right that style I was very taken by that by the love of New York by the sort of evocative descriptions of New York what it looks like and smells like and feels like and in that being a vibrant place and a good place and a positive place you know sort of the opposite framing of a busy place you know you could kind of go oh a busy place oh you know and go that sort of racist way that kind of disgusting bigoted way that mm-hmm. Lovecraft did or you can actually embrace it because this is where you're from this is what you're made of this is a beautiful and wonderful thing and a diverse thing so that's one of the things I took away from it the most yeah there are something I think like actually moving passages yeah. uh, in the in the book about about the feel of being in New York often set immediately next to images of violence um, this is this is a book in which a black man is is killed unfairly by police um, this police. is a book in which, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and images in which there are just great acts of unjust injustice performed against people of color and, and immigrants and ways in which immigrant, the word immigrant is wielded as a weapon. Um, and also a book in which, you know, there are dark gods. There is, you know, there, there are moments of, spell casting of outright spell casting <laughs> happening um rob yeah i mean i really loved this book um i think there are such great moments and parallels set up so one of the things that one of the the things that runs through this uh book is 
just transiting from one from your world from your neighborhood to a different world is like a journey in itself that there are no simple trips that uh, Tom takes right that depending on where his stop is on the subway his experience changes what happens at the end of that line uh, changes a great deal and there's this one there's this great parallel that's set up at one point so he is called in to uh, play music, which is weird because he's a shitty musician, but he's called in to play music <laughs> at a uh, at the Soydam's uh, uh, party. And he's being paid a lot of money to do it. And so he's walking through this, uh, you know, gent- like very, uh, not gentrified, it's, but it is the neighborhood where the gentry live of, uh, yeah. you know, of a white neighborhood. And he's being stalked by these, uh, you know, three white punks, basically, who are just like looking to start shit. And they keep like, they keep trying to get a rise out of him. And they keep watching him, and they start doing this thing. As he's walking, what, they're walking so closely to him that they start like trying to, you know, you know, you're walking behind somebody, you're trying to catch the lip, the back lip of their shoe with the front of yours. You're, you're sort of kicking their bag. They start doing that, and he knows like he can't turn around. He can't like engage. But the cool thing is that's immediately set when he gets to this destination. He enters this creepy old mansion that immediately spatially doesn't make any sense like it feels like mm-hmm. it, it, he's not in the building that he's whose facade he was just standing in front of but as he's walking down this hallway he starts to get the same feeling that there is something behind him and it's starting to brush his bag a little bit it's starting to you know kick it try to kick it out of his hand a, a little bit and i think what was cool there is this notion of a lot of the cosmic horror of Lovecraft is just shit that's visited on marginalized people just right and left, right? Constantly. That, yeah. Oh, there, there, are pe- there are hostile forces who don't care about you, but they observe you constantly. They fuck And who you, you cannot look at. Yes. If you look at them directly, they will kill you, which is literally the thing that happens with, in, with Lovecraftian beasts all the time. Don't look directly at Cthulhu. You will be undone. Uh, and for, for us, it's like don't look at the three teenagers behind you kicking your, your bag because they will end you and there will be a mob if you do anything against them. Um, that is like a, such a keen observation that I didn't make until just now. Um, but – the other, the other really until you made it. To be clear, yeah. it's not my observation; it was your <laughs> observation. Uh, but the other thing I really dig here too is that there's kind of a there isn't one like black perspective in the story. Tom has his own bigotries, right? Like he is African American, but he's living oh, yeah. in a neighborhood that a ton of West Indian. Uh, people are starting to move in and he has this conception of them that is also deeply bigoted he's like you don't want to go to the victoria society don't Shit's go to the crazy down there Ooh. and he goes there with a friend one night and it turns out to be a fucking like community center with cheap food uh basically and everyone just like it's just a cool it's just a cool time uh and that sort of presages what's going to be sort of the tragedy of the ending but it's this cool sort of acknowledgement that like Tom also has these prejudices. He also is skeptical of people he views as his other, right? The, the people are right. uh, people that are like but different uh, than he is. And that is a thing that he doesn't get over or he doesn't get over in time to sort of change the course of events. And I think that proves to be a really smart move and also kind of a beautifully tragic one. I think the the ending of this is so good. 
but also, I just fucking love this as a revenge story. I just fucking just right into my veins. It's delicious. <laughs> the degree of revenge is so... It is not outsized, the the cost paid him, right? It is, in fact, this sort of... Again, last week, so we recorded this episode in last week's episode the same day. Like, we took like a 10 minute break between them, 15 minute break between them. We said 10 minute, and we took a 30 minute break between them, uh, as we do. Um, and in that one, we talked a lot about the imagined histories and the imagined pasts of, of, of colonial empires. The colonial empires that want to pretend. I would get it connects actually back with with uh, what we were just talking about with Channel Zero. The the idea that there is ever a uh, clean slate, right? Yeah. Like, oh well, there's the England of today. We don't have to worry about how England got here. We don't have to worry about how England got to become the big empire it was at the height of World War One. We don't have to talk about the the colonies and and about uh, the exploitation of of people around the world. We can just talk about the European powers uh, as if they they've emerged whole cloth. Um, here. Uh, we, we, it's the, it's a, it's a similar thing in that, in that it is, um, the, the vengeance wrought upon the world by, by Black Tom is commensurate with the, with the violence done against, uh, oppressed people around the world by Western society. It's just, it all, ha- it's going to happen all at once, uh, uh, and and the whereas colonial violence happens over the course of centuries and centuries and centuries into the future, you know, it, it, it continues to happen. And I think that's fascinating, partially because there, this book also plays with time in a really interesting way. There was a fucking moment oh in this book God. that got me that I didn't. Oh, think, I was so Yo. confused, and then and when I forgot it about it. it, I was like, "Oh, I was doing the holy shit moment as it builds." Hundred <laughs> percent. It's great. It's a great. It's a great reveal. Uh, which, which I think speaks to partially. I think it speaks to just like the writing is just good. There's enough good like prose. It's very. It's it's uh, uh, descriptive in a way that I was constantly impressed by. In which like the the, the attention to detail on just people like there was enough detail about the world around you, people's feelings, emotions, reactions to things that uh, it was weird. I was like, uh, so I, this is the first audiobook I've ever listened to. I've never. Listened oh to wow, really? Um, awesome. But because I had. 36 hours to to do this and i was like i have more time where i walk around with my dog and my kid yeah. where i can be listening to something as opposed to finding two and a half three hours to sit down and, and read a thing um but yeah like it, i just you get in the head of these characters in a way and there are some like perspective shifts that happen smartly throughout this that i think are really important to like underscoring like the end game and why it is so uh neatly effective and and tragic in a lot of ways but yeah i it's I, I really, really enjoyed this story, and especially because of the descriptors that you're talking about. There's two important perspectives. There's an important perspective shift. There's two reasons why I think that's super important. One is just is a craft on the craft writing level. You the first half of the book is written from Tom's perspective. The second half is written from another character's perspective. Um, and in doing so, one, it means you're not sure what Tom is up to in the second half, which introduces a degree of doubt. Um, and it also underscores some of the tragic elements of the story because you can you can start to backfill what was going through Tom's mind after after the middle of the book um, and be like, oh, fuck, oh, buddy, you know, okay, how, where are we, well, where does are we it, going? Like, it's smart about, like, what it doesn't fill in. Right, right? 100%. Like, like, that's, like, they're, they're, you know, like, we were, you know, kind of the Channel Zero, like, the ways, like, 
re reading this like underscored parts of the things I didn't like about Channel Zero because like it was so much smarter about the things it does or doesn't fill in, and like the lack of information informs what makes other parts of the story specifically about what Tom does when we have his perspective shift. Like that makes that whole payoff so much more effective because you weren't there for every step of the way. Right. Uh, the other half of this is it shows how to write a white racist character in a way that is engaging with their racism and engaging with the cost of their racism. Um, Without with, being overly sympathetic. Yeah. Or, like, it's like you understand. You, he you, writes a you, check you, in the not, first half of the You're seeing book. their perspective, but but I mean that in the sense like you're seeing it through their eyes and yeah. through their rationale and through their – their own explanation and it's 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 a it's a it's a tap dance that most would get way wrong <laughs> wrong but felt authentic in a way that didn't excuse their actions um along the way uh yeah i i mean i like that we we do have the uh violent virulent racism of howard who's this private detective who's just the worst fucking person in this book that's right his name is howard um, that's good yeah 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 totally i, I just yeah yeah i did the thing yep, i just totally. did the thing sorry well, and then, and then lovecraft ahead. is in this book specifically yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. in the very end he's like referenced they run him out of specifically yeah yeah. Uh, yeah 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 but <laughs> thank god for that uh but then there's malone who like tom visits like a special punishment on him uh, oh, yeah. befitting the sort of uh, racism that Malone has, has exhibited uh, throughout the story. But I think um, the other thing that I just I really love is the writing is good. I think dialogue especially, uh, when the characters are speaking, just tends to be very, very good. Like, I would definitely read a screenplay from Laval uh, because there are, like, especially in the in the final confrontations uh, as, as Tom sort of squares off against a lot of these characters you get some you get you get some great passages uh right like uh i really enjoyed when these characters started articulating uh just the worldview they they sort of inhabited uh by the end there is a there there are moments where like i i do my best when i, when I write something to take a bunch of notes um and those notes can range from like oh wow i i really appreciate uh, the way this passage is written because it recalls blah, 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 whatever. Um, there are also times when it, when someone just says something like, this motherfucker. <laughs> and I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know what, Tom? This motherfucker, Tommy <laughs> Tester. God damn. Um, there are... Well, because like, the, the, the times when they allow his... Because yeah, the, the book is so good about like his performance, right? Like they both describe it as like performance for like, for, for, you know, in front of white people. Also, you know, the reason he has taken an interest in is because he is seen as a successful illusionist, yeah. which is like both a performance that like, it, it, like, but then those moments where like he drops it and we get that internal monologue or he drops it and we get it externally yeah. like are done so sharply and so well that yes, like you feel the, his both rage and satisfaction when when that veil drops a bit, there's an early bit where where he he's described. So he's he's a he's a con artist in a sense. He's a bad jazz musician who goes out into the white neighborhoods where they don't know what good jazz sounds like. Uh, and I guess we should say this takes place in the 1930s. So we did not actually say that at any point. 20s, so I can imagine. 20s, right? 
Is it the late 20s? Yeah, I feel like I think it's 1924. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know why I had 30s in my head. Um, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, and so goes out into neighborhoods he like... He goes from Harlem to, to Flushing. Flushing. And then Harlem to... I guess, yeah, and he's... Does he the actually... three neighborhoods are Flushing, Harlem, and, and Red, Red Hook. Hook. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, kind of plays out there because people out there it doesn't sometimes doesn't even need to play right a lot of times the goal is just to be a person with a guitar case to then get picked up for a for a, a performance somewhere which is technically what happens with Sudiem except but also a cover for tra- like, uh, being a messenger doing yeah, like being moving like a um... Like a smuggler uh, a or like a courier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he couldn't do it in his own, he can't do it in Harlem because they'd see through his bullshit. They would yeah. just see, like, one, there'd be good artists, and like, two, they know that you're running a hustle. So it's like, you got to go to where the white people's interpretation of what a black blues musician looks like. It's not just right. the, a black blues musician. It's what do white people think a black totally. blues musician looks like. Um, well, because we get an image of a black blues musician who is his father, which right. would not fit their stereotype. Uh, you know, maybe it would a little bit, but it, but there is – it would not necessarily be – his father – there are so many sequences in this book that are so good about putting – on the persona you need to to move through the world. There's a bit early on where the, he, he writes, Becoming unremarkable, invisible, compliant. These were useful tricks for a black man in an all-white neighborhood. Survival techniques. And there's a moment when his father gives him a little razor blade on a, on a, like a, a piece of cord, like around a necklace, um, and explains a similar s- story, which is like, yeah, I used to, I used to like be on trains. I used to jump from train to train to travel. Uh, and there's a great bit where he's like, you know, um, and when Otis, who's his father, was a was a younger man, he had the th- it was like he had the thing that younger men w- had, which is to to I forget the exact phrasing, but it's something around like to travel more than you actually need, you know, like hmm. to get from point A to point B. He kind of wanted to also visit some other stuff on the way, and to travel where he traveled, like whatever your race was. They did not like itinerant, you know, uh, itinerant uh, uh, travelers in that way. You would get caught up and beat the fuck up. And so he used to walk around with this razor. And there's this moment of recognition from Tommy that is like, oh, shit, right? My dad was 20 once. My father also has techniques. Um, uh, and, and in some senses, even, you know, the songs, the handful of songs Tommy knows are all techniques as well. And there's a lot of work done around Again, just like with with um, uh, Channel Zero, w- what does it mean to be a creator? What does it mean to create something? What does it mean to bring something into the world? Um, uh, and what things are I, – I, like Channel Zero, the question of revenge and the question of, of acceptable violence and uh, comes up a lot here towards the end uh, of the book where we end up moving into spaces that are meant to evoke horror for us. But also feel like earned in a sense. There's a big climactic confrontation that is framed just like any other finale in a Lovecraftian story, except for once you end up rooting for the 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 coldest in a way. The person. What's well, so personal? Yes. Like that's like the, the greatest success I think of this story is giving, especially in the inversion and the commentary on Lovecraft as 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 a racist author. Um, is giving so much personal motivation to this main character so that at the when when they make their turns they do exactly as you're saying Austin we're like you not only understand but you root and say yeah fuck it man like go for it like do your thing and he does some like truly 
uh, uh, both on a smaller scale, like on a, on a personal violence scale, like the thing he does with the knife. It's a lot. Make sure, hey man, you're gonna be seeing. Uh-huh. You can't unsee anymore. You can't close your eyes when you want to. Yeah. Whew. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's it's it, but like try it's, to it's, shut it's, them it's, now. He says. Yeah. It's so effective on like so many different levels that like I'm I just like I was both cackling and also revolted at the same time that it just like the amount of mixed emotions. The amount of uh, 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 the amount it imbues in the it's not violence for violence sake like it's it's a very personal violence in a way that is earned by the whole arc of the story that I just found to be like very profoundly revealing and uh, in a way that I was not expect like the way it all comes together and ends in that one room is is just really something else. I uh, sorry, go on. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say like that that feels like you know the point and this is speaking to a little bit of what you said earlier Austin of um there's this one line in the book that is a fear of cosmic indifference suddenly seemed comical downright naive mm-hmm. and then later says what was indifference compared to malice and it is like i feel like so much of the story is about is about trans transposing that fear of malice onto yeah Mm-hmm. like the the very thing that like refuses to consider it yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. It's like, I'm going to make you understand what it is like to move through the world where people hate you mm-hmm. and where you're you you cannot you don't have the the luxury of being afraid of indifference yeah right yeah uh, yeah um and it's funny because that one could see that uh, malice like acted upon Tom as indifference. Like, oh, Tom right. is just a rant, you know, in the in the sense that he is one of many. Right. In in the sense that he is a black man. Right. There's a sequence in which someone points to Tom to say, "There's a cop who's like, bring me that guy." Yeah. And another cop is, just grabs a different black guy. And then still. And and the guy and he gets corrected. Yeah. He he gets corrected and he still like pats him down and like checks his pockets. Yeah. Like even though he's like, "Oh no, it's not him." And he's like, "Well, I'm at his fucking well." Yeah. Which is like <laughs> exactly. that is not indifference. Right. Like, right. and I think it's right. re- I think it's like easy for to mistake that as indifference and I think it's careless to do so because that is that is malice disguised as indifference um totally um I guess like the the my last thing here is is to wrap back around to this question of tragedy and this question of community because there's a version of this book that just ends on the repercussions of the big final act climax for the world and for the person who is who who uh, we read that line about about not being able to to shut your eyes now, um, but instead it it wraps around to being about Tom and Tom's lo- missed connection, uh, not like Craigslist missed connection. Oh yeah, rip to. The rest of the diasporan community, right? Like the the black diaspora is massive and also did, you know, waves of black folk were brought from Africa across the Atlantic um, and deposited on shores that weren't ours. But we did not all arrive at once. Um, And we arrived in many places and slowly as, you know, as, as chains were removed, were allowed some degree of movement. 
Um, it's part of why Harlem is rendered so beautifully here is that it ends up being a collection of so many different people who have finally found a, a place to mingle um, and to mingle with people who who historically they would not have mingled with often, right? Like this is part of the thing with the Victoria Society is in the time of the diaspora, new cultures had 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 been born, new types of food. Um, there is no one black culture. Um, uh, there's no one anything culture. And so, but but there is a shared suffering. There is this thing that links them all together. There is this place where where if only Tommy had known was not this horrible vision that he had in his head that he peddled himself about what the Victoria Society was, he could have lived such a different life. Had that, though, though not too different a life, right? Like there is another character in this story, his friend Buckeye, who is goes to the Victoria Society all the time, is known by name at the Victoria Society, but still has suffered at the hands of of malice, at the hands of white malice that like he is a, con- a construction worker who shows up expecting to be able to get the same sort of job he got overseas building the Panama Canal, shows up in New York, is only able to to, you know, he's able to do construction work, but he's not protected by a union because he's not allowed to join the union, and when he's injured, he has no job security. He gets kicked out. He you know, when he comes back after after healing, um he hurts his ankle. He hurts his ankle. Yeah, he he, he breaks can't his put weight on and it. He can't put weight on it. And there's no one's like, oh, we'll help you get another job, or like, well, you can work limited hours or anything. Like he's just gone, gone. And so at that point, he turns to crime, light crime. If I was like running, he's doing like numbers. He's doing like lotteries, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing like like small time private lotteries. Um, and but he still has the Victoria Society. He still finds community. And so there's this great like tension there of. Yes, the Victoria Society will provide you life and and joy and some you know connection to others will still happen, but that won't be enough to dig you out of the pit by itself either. Um, and and yet still there is this tragic you know reminder at the end that at some point if Tommy had pushed himself to actually connect to those other people, he would not have walked the path he walked. Um, but also I don't know that anyone can leave this book sad. He did you know burn it all down. Well, yeah, the, yeah. Without getting into specifics of the epilogue, the epilogue is like really important for why the whole story even works. Yeah, for me, because like so many of these like Lovecraft stories end with like this movie does. The, the story doesn't end with like the world destruction, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are implications, but what it the way it ends is like is the most satisfying part of like the whole thing for me because it like recon- reconsiders everything that came before it in a really satisfying. Way. I, I really love the epilogue to the story. Me too. Yeah. Uh, it was a terrific book. Uh, really glad we we took a look at it. Um, definitely want to read more from Laval. Uh, They're doing a TV series, my understanding. Oh. Is. Yeah, AMC is adapting it, yeah. uh, apparently. Um, and now this makes me want to read um, Lovecraft Country, which I didn't right. know was based on a book. Right. So, like, the Jordan, Jordan Peele is producing this HBO series about, like, Jim Crow... America and a road trip and Lovecraftian something something, but apparently it's based on like a pretty scary book, um, and was recommended from a few folks. It's like, hey, if you want to see and read more material that like tries to recast and rethink about Lovecraft and and his legacy um, in the narrative itself, apparently that's also like an interesting. Uh, and yeah, uh, Austin, you had I just want to shout out because you meant you linked it to us. There's a a good fresh air oh, interview, yeah. um, not with Terry Gross, but with one of the other right, right. Um, uh, uh, interviewers there, uh, talking with the the author, and gets a little more into like the backstory of like how as a uh, 
Yeah, you know, Lovecraft was like formative. Like they named like four authors: Stephen King, Clive Barker, Shirley Jackson, and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is oh, like the four foundational yeah, a- um, mm-hmm. authors informing his work. Um, and the different there's, there's he gives this great answer about the difference between reading Lovecraft when he was like eight and then reading Lovecraft when he was like fifteen, in which he explains how as as a as a black child you could read Lovecraft and not understand like obviously an eight-year-old is not but he like he walks you through like the, his own veil dropping on mm-hmm. how do you deal with the fact that like how i look at writing and horror and the human condition is informed by someone that i now realize was deeply othering me in the work that i was admiring it's just really a, a fascinating sort of look into uh, you know what informed the, the writing of the book too and there'll be a link to that in the uh, show notes which will probably also be extensive once again this week. Uh, anyway, that will that will do it for Waypoints. Our thanks to Tumelo for the track Slide Asleep off the album After Midnight. You can find that at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com and you can keep up with all of us at Waypoint at waypoint.vice.com. I'm Rob Zachney and you can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Lovick. Danielle. At Danielle R.I. Austin. Austin underscore Walker. Natalie. At Natalie Watson. All right. Well, that will conclude this week's Waypoints. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed the break. We'll be back again. Uh, Well, it's a holiday week, so I'm not 100% certain what the schedule is going to be. Probably the next thing you're going to be be hearing is a Waypoint radio of some sort or another. Uh, (laughs) But either way, I hope you'll join us again. Until then, do not give in to astonishment. live streams, uh, short form video. Uh, in 2019, we really want to push the envelope and, and figure out uh, some, some new dynamics. Um, and so, you know what, I, I'm going to let the content speak for itself. Play. Hi, I'm Natalie. Crunch, crunch. I am here to eat carrots. So, uh, what do you all think? Talk to you about video. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Games. Well, I love it. Uh, we've been looking for a way to uh, sort of put our own spin on pivoting uh, content strategies. And yeah. uh, I feel like, you know, we master of the two screens, right? The second screen. Yep. Uh, second we got screen. the TV yep. that we're pursuing, but then also uh, people are freaks. And uh, Gen we Z, to- we've looked, we've indexed. Gen Z over indexes. Believe in the youth. Believe in the youth. Gen Z over indexes for being freaks. It says that they are 72% being freaks. Gen Y, only 62%. 
And the thing is, this like I can see this scales. Like, think of how many videos of carrots we can get. But what else? What else can Natalie Crunch Crunch uh, Crunch? Uh, think of all the types of carrots out there. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 